0: the 2QB Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith, at GregSus on Twitter. This is episode 83 of the 2QB XP and the third installment of my new 2A Days series. Each episode in the series features two guests, typically putting analysts together from the same fantasy side or from some other sort of connection in the fantasy community. My goal is to share with you, the listeners, a wide variety of unique takes on the quarterback position and quarterback draft strategy for all sorts of formats, Yeah, 2QBs is dedicated to 2QB and Superflex leagues, but we also strive just to be your home for all things quarterback in general. So from guest to guest, I'll dive into all sorts of fantasy quarterback analysis, from 2QB to 1QB, redraft to dynasty, DFS to best ball and beyond. Today's first guest is Jim Sonnis of NumberFire, and we'll talk about using betting lines to find efficiency and touchdown production from lower tier quarterbacks, as well as the impact of offensive line play on quarterback performance. The second guest is Brandon Gadula, also of Number Fire, and we will discuss the importance of matchups for quarterbacks and how in-season waiver wire trends should impact how we approach our draft, uh, not only at quarterback, but at other positions as well. Before we get to our guests, I want to remind you that the 2QBs.com 2018 2QB and Superflex draft guide is now available. Visit 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S.com to see everything that the guide has to offer, Today, I want to specifically highlight the draft guide's article by Connor Allen about quarterback strength of schedule in 2018. He pinpoints a handful of players to either target or avoid at their price points based upon the projected difficulty of their schedules. Uh, Connor's article is only a small part of what the guide has to offer, though. It features 221 digital pages of content from a host of heavy hitters from around the fantasy industry, and 10% of each sale will go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, a very good and important cause. To get your copy and dominate your two quarterback leagues, head over to 2QBs.com. Once again, that's T-W-O-Q-B-S.com in order today. Use coupon code SOS to get 10% off. SOS like strength of schedule. Make sure you click proceed to checkout before entering in that coupon code. If you enter the code on the cart screen, it won't work. We're working to resolve this issue with the coupon codes, but for now, you can't apply the code SOS until the checkout screen, so just make sure you do that. Otherwise, let's get to our guests. I'd like to welcome Jim Sonnis of NumberFire onto the show. You can follow him at Jim
1: Sonnis. Jim, what's up, man? It's good to have you back on. Greg, it's awesome to be back on here because that means football season is here. So hearing your voice is a delight to my ears. How are you doing? I'm
0: doing fantastic, man. I'm really excited about this new series and I'm stoked that you're a part of it. And let's just dive in. What is the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained from your work at Number Fire?
1: Yeah, I think there are two for me personally. And the first one is that efficiency is kind of the thing that I want to favor above all else for quarterbacks. Um, and what that means is I want quarterbacks who will generate touchdown drives because quarterback scoring is so, so heavily generated by touchdowns. That I just want efficient quarterbacks. And if I can find a guy, you know, two years ago, Matt Ryan was the prime example where he was an efficient quarterback the year before was going pretty late in drafts. I think he was around like quarterback 17 or 18 that year. And so it was like, okay, this guy plays in the dome. I like that as well. I can get behind this guy because he has that efficiency and I know he will generate touchdown drives. So Matt Ryan was a pretty obvious guy that I wanted that year. And I think you could say the same thing about Matt Ryan this year, uh, as he's currently quarterback 12 in a similar situation. Ben Roethlisberger there too. You just want guys who are going to score touchdowns. And uh, you find that through looking at efficiency. But the problem with that is that most efficient quarterbacks are going to be expensive. Aaron Rodgers, very expensive. He is the most efficient quarterback. Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, those guys are going to cost you a lot. So from a streaming perspective, One thing I've learned in my research here is that being favored is always a good thing. And I think that at least I initially had this fear of quarterbacks using them when they were favored because, okay, you know they get a lead, Andy Reid forgets that he can throw the football forward, and that quarterback never gets points again. But for the most part, quarterbacks do score more points in their favor than they do when they're trailing or when they're underdogs, so I think just looking for efficiency and knowing that on a game-by-game basis, finding quarterbacks who are favored is a positive thing. Those are the two things that have influenced my process most uh, through things that I've been able to research at Number fire. So we can see who's
0: favored for Week 1 right now, but we can't necessarily know ahead of time who's going to be favored in, say, Week mm-hmm. 7, right? So are you looking at all at uh, you know season-long
1: win totals over-unders
0: yes. uh, to help you identify some quarterbacks that you like?
1: Yeah, win totals very much so. Uh, that is something that I have always tried to look for. Um, it did kind of burn me a couple years ago because the Titans had a super low win total, and I love Marcus Mariota the player, but the win total kind of pushed me off of him, and I, I didn't. I didn't wind up getting a lot of him that year because they had a low win total, and he wound up going. Uh, that was 2016. He had a pretty good year that year, but for the most part. Targeting quarterbacks who are on successful teams, and again, Ben Roethlisberger is the one who stands out here. He's quarterback fifteen in uh, in current draft data, but the Steelers' win total I think was ten and a half when I initially pulled data back in May. And that's just such a big deviation from where the other quarterbacks with win totals that high are. So, yeah, win totals are a huge thing for me before the season. And then in season, if I am streaming or playing in DFS, uh, it's definitely the the individual game lines will push me there.
0: Yeah, Big Ben is definitely one of those guys who seems to really fit the bill for these things you're talking about. And it seems the only reason that he's going as late as he is is because people are maybe bored of using him or drafting him. He yeah. he really does have one of the better ceilings among quarterbacks. Uh, I think since 2015, 50% of his weeks have been top 10, which is crazy. Um and that kind of speaks to the exaggerated home road splits that you're going to see from right. him. Like that Mark is only behind uh, Rodgers, Luck, Brady and Wilson of the quarterbacks who, you know, played all those seasons. So, yeah, he's a guy who I've been ending up with a ton for sure. Um I know I know You mentioned uh, weather a little bit earlier, playing in a dome. How much does that factor into your decision-making
1: with QBs? It's huge uh, because once – I think the tipping point for me where I start to get nervous is 10 miles per hour. That's where I start to say, hey, you know, is this guy actually as good of a play as he seems? 15 miles per hour, I am sweating when I wake up Sunday morning uh, trying to check the weather forecast and see that. And once it gets above 20, you're looking at someone – um, you know, like even a top end quarterback one who if I have another good option on my bench, if we're talking for a super flex league or a two quarterback league, I really do consider putting them in. I, I want to give credit to Chris Allen here. I, I know that he's done work in the past uh for two QBs, but he's done awesome work. I've had the pleasure of reading it. Uh He's at Chris Allen FFWX on Twitter. He's done awesome work with showing how individual quarterbacks do in high wins. And I think that a, a lot of his research has shown me that I do need to factor this in. I've seen the same thing in doing research for DFS, but I think the same learnings can go to season-long, where once the winds get above 10 miles per hour, things get a little bit scary. 15, things get really scary, and 20, it's like, oh my goodness, please eject, eject, eject. <laughs> uh, but like Matt Ryan, playing in a dome, or retractable, weird, sphincter-looking roof. Uh, but Kirk Cousins also is in, in the same situation, where he's going from playing outdoors to playing indoors this year, and I think that that helps. Drew Brees, obviously, in the same discussion there. So I do like to target guys in domes, and I hate guys who are playing in heavy winds. Man,
0: all this weather talk has just transported me back to the days of the QB2 experience. I mean, everyone's yes. listening to the 2QB experience <laughs> right now, but little known fact, Jim did a uh, a podcast with my partner, Sal Stefanilli, on 2QBs called the QB2 podcast, where you guys were looking at these streamers all the time, and you were talking about weather every week. It was great. I. I you're my favorite weatherman, Jim.
1: Yeah, Chris is my favorite weatherman, so I will give the hat tip to him. But, yeah, it was fun talking with Sal. And Sal kind of, you know, he let me go on my crazy tangents about weather, so I always appreciated that he would uh, would indulge me there for sure.
0: Yeah, and I'll echo uh, your sentiments about Chris Allen. He's definitely someone you need to be following on Twitter. You should check out the work that he sent to QBs and also over at 4 for 4. Um, just really good stuff. Now, another – aspect of QB play that you've really done a lot of great analysis on, Jim, is offensive line play. What are the fantasy impacts of offensive line, or or I should say, where are those impacts being the most undervalued or overvalued this season, in your opinion?
1: I think the biggest thing that gets overlooked with the offensive line is health, and that's something we can start tracking right now, uh, because the Panthers in the opening week of training camp, already lost their right tackle, Daryl Williams. They lost uh, one of their big players, Andrew Nor- Norwell, in free agency over the offseason. And those are big losses. And I focus most on health throughout the season because, like, a lot of these guys, if they have a poor offensive line, like Eli Manning, that is baked into his cost already. But when we see injuries within the season, that's going to change their value. I think Kirk Cousins is the best example of that last yes. year because— he was pretty solid last year and then once Trent Williams, uh, got banged up, once everyone else, literally everyone else on their offensive line got banged up too, his, his performance fell right with it. So I think that. In-season changes because of health. Dak Prescott with Tyron Smith last year, with and without him, his splits are insane without Tyron Smith. So I would say, especially during the preseason, when things can change pretty quickly, track offensive line health, see where big injuries occur on the offensive line, and and ask yourself, how should this affect my evaluation, not just of this quarterback, but of this this entire team, and continue to do so throughout the entire season? Because injuries on the offensive line – are something we can gloss over with all the craziness that is, you know, the a week in the NFL. Well, yeah, especially
0: because typically the injuries that get the most buzz in season are the ones that open up roles for other skill position players. Like a a top running back goes down, and everybody rushes to the waiver wire to pick up his backup. And lost in the shuffle are all those offensive line Mm -hmm. uh, injuries. And and defensive injuries do the same thing. Like suddenly making what might have been a tough matchup look a little bit more appealing to your quarterback. Um, You mentioned those offensive line injuries for Carolina, How has that affected your evaluation of Cam Newton? Because he's a guy who I've been kind of excited to draft this year. I think he's being slightly undervalued, but this does change
1: things for us, right? Right, it does. And I think that um, I was on board with you, too, where I thought that he was being a bit undervalued. He's quarterback six right now. He's behind Carson Wentz. And with the questions around Wentz's health, I didn't really... I, I thought that the Cam should have been higher, honestly. So I think that what's gonna happen for me now, with Williams being out, again, I think he like dislocated his kneecap or something crazy like that. So he's probably not gonna play at least for the first part of the year, maybe the entire year. I think now I will be closer to the public on Cam than I was before. Whereas previously I was, you know, ranking him above the public. Now I think I'll be in lockstep with them, which is kind of bothersome to me I, I don't like doing that i like to have like a hot take to be like oh yeah can's way overrated now but i'm just like eh, he's probably properly evaluated whereas before i think i was with you where i thought he was going a little bit undervalued so how does that impact the
0: way you see his weapons because i think that's one of the more interesting yeah. offenses to try to figure out this season because there are so many moving parts there like they added dj Moore. devin funchess is you know in his first full season as in theory, the number one receiver there, Christian McCaffrey, year two. Like, what what are you doing with that offense in regards to these offensive line changes, uh, or if or are you not doing anything at all?
1: It means I'd rather draft Tim Tebow than draft C.J. Anderson for the most part, uh, because <laughs> Anderson's value is so dependent on inside running. And I already did not like Anderson at his ADP because they lost Norwell, and that's a huge loss for the interior part of their offensive line. But now you take away Williams and. I don't know how they'll be able to run the ball effectively that's kind of a wash for Christian McCaffrey because I'm not counting on rushing efficiency for him I would like rushing volume and receiving volume but I don't think those two things will necessarily change with this injury for Darrell Williams I think that it does just kind of lessen the allure around these guys because just like Cam I thought that the that the Panthers pass catchers were a little bit undervalued too I I had a A lot of Funchess in DFS and in season long. Last year, he's going in the eighth round. Um, He is a big dude. He is still crazy young for how long he has been in the league. Mm -hmm. And we know he can be a force near the red zone. But now, those red zone trips may not be as plentiful with Williams being out. So it is a downgrade to me for Funchess. I can't really downgrade Greg Olson because there's no other tight ends I really want to put above him because it's such a terrible position. Uh, But... It just makes me even less willing to, you know, go out there and grab him, knowing that tight ends need touchdowns too. And if he's going to be going at the end of the fifth round, I want no part of that, especially now.
0: Okay, so the biggest takeaway there is that you think Tim Tebow is the most undervalued quarterback in the NFL. Who is the next most undervalued, Jim?
1: (laughs) It's definitely Ben Roethlisberger. We've talked about him before, and I think that I agree with your assessment where it's the home road splits that scare people off, and I get that. It's definitely frustrating, but... There's also a positive to that. Yeah, I don't that care. That I think that's a good thing. Roethlisberger is predictable. Yes, we know when he's going to do well and when he's going to struggle. And I favor predictability over so many things in football. Like, yeah, I mean, there are going to be guys who have these pop up weeks, but if I can't predict it, then what good does it do me? Whereas with Roethlisberger, I know, hey, he's got a kind of tough matchup and he's on the road. I need to change the way I view him, and I think that that's, that's what I love about Roethlisberger. So quarterback 15, I think that with all the weapons that they have, uh, Ramon Foster got banged up on their offensive line too, but it sounds like he's going to be okay. Uh, so I'm still okay with Big Ben. I love him where he's going. I think that he is just a ridiculous value right now.
0: So looking beyond the just the home road splits, do you buy into the perceived splits with start times for him?
1: Uh, I don't, but I understand why people say them. <laughs> uh, believe me, knowing Big Ben's reputation, I understand why those narratives exist. And honestly, last year too, when they had that stretch of primetime games, he just went bananas. So, like, I get it. Uh, but I think for me, it's more so the home road splits that really do do that I buy into more. I mean, some people just aren't morning people. I'm I'm one of those folks. You know. You know? There can sometimes be self-inflicted things that may cause people not being one. <laughs> what are you trying to say, say about me, made. Jim? What are you trying to say? No, 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 not you. I'm talking about Ben here. I'm keeping the keeping the subject on Ben. I would never accuse you of such tomfoolery, Greg. Uh, I, but for Ben, I get it. I just don't necessarily want to overreact to that.
0: As I sip my IPA on a Tuesday, right? <laughs> um, so let's let's take it the other direction. Who is the most uh, overvalued quarterback in 2018?
1: Yeah, I think that it's Carson Wentz for me, and it's not because of talent. I think that I've already I've already said that I was wrong on him coming out of college because I was not super high on him uh, when he was coming out. I didn't like him that much after his rookie year either. I was very wrong about Carson Wentz, and I accept that. But he's a quarterback with injury ambiguity. We don't know when he'll be able to pop in there. I think that that is something that we're not really giving enough value to. I think that the reports so far at a camp have been very positive, but that was a late-in-the-year injury for Carson Wentz, and he was a guy last year who did get some viability via his rushing. So I think right now at quarterback five, I would rather have Cam. I'd rather have Drew Brees. I'd probably go Kirk Cousins over uh, Carson Wentz, too. I think that where he's going right now to me – a little bit too rich, but that's not an indictment of him as a player. More so just an indictment of what I don't know about his health.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's a regression coming for him, too. Like, he had a 7.5% sure. touchdown rate in 2017. That's not going to repeat. I mean, Russell Wilson, who was the QB1, his touchdown rate was only 6.1%. I, I think you're right. Like, putting Wentz in that bucket with... Kirk Cousins maybe Roethlisberger maybe Matthew Stafford like I think that's the right range for him it's not yes. QB4 with Drew Brees and yeah Russell Wilson Andrew Luck like that's that is too rich for my blood as well who's the
1: who's the toughest quarterback for you to evaluate this season it's Mitchell Trubisky by a mile like so far and I I was big into Jared I think we actually talked about Jared Goff on your podcast last year as a guy that I yep. liked as a late round quarterback due to the upgrades they made to their offensive line throughout the offseason and the Bears Have made upgrades specifically to their pass catchers, but I don't think they're necessarily as significant as what the Rams did. Like, there's a difference between Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Sammy Watkins, and an injured Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, who is like half a foot shorter than me, and I'm not a particularly tall guy. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, I mean, obviously Anthony Miller is like a big addition too, but. He's also super old for his age, kind of similar to Cup, I guess, in that respect, but there is still some ambiguity here, and I don't know how to evaluate Trubisky from that perspective, but I also know he's going to be running a spread offense, he has a good athletic profile, and we have seen Matt Nagy do some good things with quarterbacks in the past, so I think that that's where I have a tough time with Trubisky. I am willing to take risks on him late, even though I am very skeptical of his talent, I think that there is upside there because of the athleticism, because of the rushing, because of the system they may be running. So I'm having a hard time evaluating him, but I think I see the upside there, and I will take him late, even though, again, I am still a bit worried about the the raw talent there.
0: So how would you compare him to some guys who maybe— Being drafted in the same area, maybe someone like Andy Dalton, Derek Carr.
1: Andy uh, Dalton's going to be my pick every time. Okay, we'll
0: explain that. What do you like about Dalton?
1: I think that Dalton, for me, it comes back to offensive line again. Uh, they traded for Cordy Glenn. Uh, they traded down with the Bills in the draft to get Cordy Glenn. That's an upgrade at left tackle. Uh, they went offensive line in the first round as well. And, you know, looking back at his history, we've seen that teams that draft offensive linemen in the first round get a big boost both in year one and in year two after they do so. So I think that I expect big things Mandy Andy Dalton. He has good pass catchers. Um, I mean, at least if we can keep Tyler Eifert healthy, Tyler Cross, not bad. He's got AJ green there. Maybe John Ross can do something this year. I don't think the cupboard is completely bare in Cincinnati. And they looked a lot better down the second half of last year, but no one cared because they'd given up on the entire offense because of how bad they were initially. So Andy Dalton, to me, we've seen him have a top five season in the past and I would take him over Trubisky, but again, I don't want to say I would never touch Trubisky because I do acknowledge that there is some good upside there. So where do you typically start to
0: draft your quarterbacks? Like what's the price point? Um, You can frame it however you want. You can talk about, you know, the draft round or, you know, after how many quarterbacks have been drafted. Where do you start jumping in at the position?
1: Yeah, I think with two quarterback and super flex leagues, for me, it starts around the end of the quarterback one tier. And what I'll do a lot of times in those situations is I will wait until we get to about quarterback 12, quarterback 13, and then I'll just double dip. I will get two quarterbacks with my next two picks, get guys that I like a lot. Uh It's traditionally, it seemed to be this year at least, Ben Roethlisberger and Marcus Mariota are, a guy, are two guys I paired together a lot because I like – both their floors and their upsides, personally, uh, and they're both very cheap relative to where I think they should be going. Um, so I think that I've been kind of doubling up. It's been around that back end of the quarterback one sc- one frame, early end quarterback two. And if I can't get uh, Ben and Marcus Mariota, it's been Dak Prescott a lot of the time after that as well. Uh, despite the pass catchers, I think that the rushing upside there is being a bit underestimated. So um, I am kind of just waiting for that, that end of the quarterback one range and then just getting my guys after that, even if they may be a bit reachy from where they normally go. So how about in one-quarterback
0: leagues? Like, this is a 2QB podcast, but you know I, sure. I acknowledge that people still play in one-quarterback
1: leagues, so let's talk about that, too. Um, where do you jump in in those formats? Yeah, it tends to be around the 10th or 11th round because that's where I feel the most okay with not going with a running back or a wide receiver because – I think that one thing that my uh, my uh boss, J.J. Zacharyson, talks about a lot is opportunity cost. And to me, when I look at a 10th-round running back, like, you know, Corey Clements, there's a lot of reasons to like him. Uh Naheem Hines, Chris Carson, they're all going in that 10th-round range. But I don't feel that the cost, the gap between those guys and a 12th or 13th-round running back is as significant as it is in the earlier rounds. And that's kind of a point where I'm like, okay – I feel comfortable not going running back or wide receiver, so let me tip my toes into the, the quarterback pool. So 10th or 11th round is where things seem to get really soft at those two positions, and that's where I start to look at uh, the onesie-type positions like quarterback and tight end.
0: Well, I was just about to ask about tight end. Are you more likely to yeah. take a tight end first or a QB first?
1: Probably a tight end. Um, and it depends, because like I— Probably am not going to have any Aaron Rodgers in uh, season-long one-quarterback leagues this year, but I will have Rob Gronkowski and I will have Travis Kelsey because I think that sometimes they can be worth where they go, whereas the top-end quarterbacks in one-quarterback leagues are probably not going to be worth that. The middle ground at tight end is not my favorite, so I don't wind up taking many guys there, but then we get to George Kittle. He goes in uh, round 10, Jack Doyle's round 11, and then I think that I like that range. So I'm more likely to take a tight end before quarterback. But, you know, if we get to that round 10-11 range, I'm not going to worry too much if I don't have a tight end yet. If there's, if Big Ben is still there, I'm going to take him. If I can get Marcus Mariota, I will go there. And I will hold off a little bit later on tight end, uh, knowing that I can get some guys I don't hate later on, too.
0: Let's get back to two-quarterback formats. Who's the worst quarterback you'd be okay with starting as your QB1
1: in a two-quarterback league? Uh, we talked about him before, but it's actually Dak Prescott. Um, I am very okay with him as my quarterback one, and it's for the reasons I talked about before, because if you look back to last year, yes, they had Des Bryant and Jason Witten there, but Des Bryant is still unsigned. Jason Witten retired, and I don't know how much he really changes my evaluation of this offense. Their pass catches are bad, but they weren't great last year either, and Dak Prescott for the first half of the season was among the highest floor quarterbacks in the entire league. And that's until he lost Tyron Smith. But now Tyron Smith is back. Their pass catchers are bad, yes, uh, but he's going at quarterback 20, which to me is just ridiculous. So I really do think that in a two-quarterback league, I can be comfortable with Dak Prescott as my quarterback one as long as my quarterback two comes really, really quick after that.
0: Okay, so let's say that maybe you get somebody a little bit better than Dak as your QB1. How low are you willing to go? Are you, are you going to really slum it at your QB2 in any of your leagues? Like, Who's the worst quarterback you would start in that spot, you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, based on ADP, I can go Andy Dalton as uh, my quote-unquote worst quarterback, and I can feel good, good about that. He's the quarterback 30 right now, which, again, I don't understand. I, I think that he's going behind guys who are not guaranteed to have jobs like Sam Bradford, Nick Foles. Baker Mayfield is right up there as well. Uh, And I'm going to take Andy Dalton every time. So if I enter a season with Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton as my two quarterbacks in a super flex league, I'm cool with that. Like, that's not going to bother me all that much uh, because I think that I have Dalton ranked up near Prescott. So I'm okay pairing those two together. And If I do spend up a little bit more, if I do wind up going with Russell Wilson or Cam Newton as my first quarterback and I want to save a bit, then Dalton has – generally been my target in that scenario
0: well and and the key takeaway here is that every time you're waiting for these quote-unquote worst quarterbacks you're willing to roster the reason you're doing that is because you're getting more value at the other positions right at running back at wide
1: receiver tight end correct right exactly and I think that that's the thing for me is I want to get as much Juice from those positions as I can before they get really putrid. And honestly, they get putrid in the third round, so that's kind of a futile exercise. But give it a shot, at least, and uh, (laughs) see what happens. Uh, But, yeah, I think that Andy Dalton, definitely in that discussion, as if I do want to – if I don't feel great about running backs and receivers and I want to get more guys in there, then Dalton's a guy I feel okay waiting on. So you've talked about Roethlisberger, Mariota, Dalton, and Dak being the guys
0: that you tend to wind up with the most often – Who's the quarterback who you wish you could draft more often? Somebody who you like, but maybe is just slightly valued more by the rest of the public
1: in drafts. It's Kirk Cousins. I honestly thought that he would yes. not be this expensive. Because I thought the people would be angry about last year. I thought I was hoping that there would be more recency bias here. So come on, everyone. Like let's <laughs> let's be a little bit more overreacting and let me get Kirk up in Minnesota because those weapons, man. Stefan Diggs just got a new extension, Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph. He's got Dalvin Cook there as well, and he plays in a dome. He has everything that I want from a quarterback, but it just goes a little bit too early. So, like, if he falls, I will absolutely reach a bit earlier and go ahead and get Kirk Cousins. I will take a quarterback earlier than I'm used to to get Kirk Cousins, but he's going a little bit too high. I, I, I know how exciting he can be in that offense, and I want a piece of it, but... I think that people are just a little bit too sharp for my liking, and they've decided they want to, to not be overreaction which is super disappointing.
0: So do you have any concerns that maybe he was propped up a little bit by Jay Gruden's offensive system, or do you buy into those sort of coaching narratives when it comes to QBs?
1: Um, I did initially. Um, I think that it kind of depends. Like, I, I bought into Jared Goff being brought down by Jeff Fisher, but that was really confirmation bias on my part, and I will 100% admit that. And maybe confirmation bias too with Carson Wentz being propped up by Doug Peterson, who is super, super smart. But again, I want to acknowledge those are because I had Goff above Wentz coming out of college, and it's probably just me, uh, being stubborn. Um, but for the most part, like with a guy like Kirk Cousins, when the track record is, as long as it is with multiple offensive coordinators after Kyle Shanahan left and uh, after uh, Sean McVay left as well. We saw Kirk Cousins still perform pretty well, so I feel okay about him. We had a long track record of him being a good quarterback despite never really having elite offensive pieces around him. He had good offensive pieces. Like Deshaun Jackson has a history of propping up quarterbacks, and I don't want to overlook that, but now he moves to a better system He moves to a better stadium to play football in. So I think that that does temper my concerns, if they existed in the first place.
0: The the one thing I would say about Cousins maybe not being propped up by great offensive weapons is that he was propped up by a really good offensive line for the most part in Washington. Now, that wasn't the case last year because they were hurt so egregiously most of the year but with that said he's moved to a new team that also has a pretty damn good offensive line in minnesota so we can kind of rule that out as a reason to not like cousins Now i'm going to put you (laughs) on the spot would you rather draft cousins or andrew luck at this point in
1: the offseason right now on the day that we were recording this, I would rather go with Kirk Cousins. And I love the reports we've seen from Andrew Luck, and I am growing more comfortable with him by the day, growing more comfortable with his weapons by the day. But at the end of the day, we still have not seen him throw a competitive football in so long. And I do still worry about lingering effects that surgery. So at this second... I will go with Kirk Cousins over Andrew Luck. But once we see him in the preseason, once we see what those balls look like against actual defenses, then I may change my my, my tune. But for right now, I will go Kirk Cousins.
0: And just full disclosure for the listeners, we are recording this on Tuesday, July 31st. It's the end of July. So that, that's, that's the context of which this conversation is taking place. Jim, do you have any other thoughts on analyzing quarterbacks or draft strategy for the position to impart to the listeners before we
1: sign off here? I think the best thing you can do is just to learn from a lot of people. Um, Take in what the research other people have done. I think that's been great for me. You know, Reading uh, J.J. Zacharison's research, uh, reading what he has done, reading the work that Brandon Gadula has done about how bad waiver wire running backs are, that has really pushed me to make sure I get my running backs early and wait a little bit longer at quarterbacks. Reading the work that Chris has done, uh, Chris Allen again, has done on weather, Just consume as much as you can and try to have an open mind with everything so you can change your opinions. Like I could read something tomorrow about Mitchell Trubisky, about how his time at UNC was, you know, maybe it was better than I thought it was. And I maybe I'll change my tune based on that. So you do want to have conviction and you do want to make sure you are you have your own opinions and your own thoughts but also be willing to listen and, and listen to the research that others have done. Cause there are a lot of smart people in fantasy football. And I want to make sure I leech off of them, to, for lack of a better word, and, and gain their knowledge too. So I think just try to read as much as you can and learn as much as you can from other smart people in this field. No, that's great. And that's honestly the whole point of
0: this entire series of two a days is we are trying to get quarterback opinions from as many smart people around the community as we can and share that with the listeners so you see you know thought process from one analyst and another and another and another until you can start to form your own opinions be like yeah that makes sense to me but no that other point doesn't and and eventually you come up with your own evaluation of these guys now you right. mentioned Brandon Gadula. He's going to be the other guest on this particular episode. <laughs> Say something nice about Brandon before we sign off.
1: Yeah, I've heard of that guy. Um, I, <laughs> I would trash talk Brandon, but right now uh, we do a, a daily fantasy golf head-to-head every week, and he is up three on me with like seven, six or seven weeks left, so I can't really talk trash. Uh, but Brandon, he's one of those guys I try to learn a lot from and who has taught me a ton, not just about like football but also about just being a good writer and being good with the English language. So uh, Brandon is a great person. If you ever need advice on writing, if you ever if you ever have him edit a piece of yours, listen to what he says. Dude knows what he's talking about uh, and then pick his brains on Lord of the Rings after you're done doing so.
0: L <laughs> O T R always gets there. Well, hey, Jim, thank you very much for joining me on this episode. Listeners, you can follow him at Jim Sonnes. That's J-I-M-S-A-N-N-E-S. And with that said, let's get to Brandon. All right, now I'd like to welcome in Brandon Gadula, at Gadula13 on Twitter. Welcome to the show, Brandon. How are you doing, man? It's good to have you.
2: I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we're actually recording the, the first night of football, so uh, we get some some of that uh, football back in our lives after all this off-season uh, studying. So uh, it, it's great to, to kind of put uh, finally put some of that uh, off-season research to, to good use.
0: Yeah, I've been peeking over at my muted TV a little bit through the couple recordings I've done here. Did you uh, play any preseason
2: DFS for the Hall of Fame game? Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a bit of a a preseason to Jen, so I, I kind of fired <laughs> off uh, a bit too many lineups, but uh, hopefully hopefully the second half uh, we, we can get some of those guys uh, get an extra run, getting me some fantasy points. What's your QB exposure like? Um, so you know, FanDuel uh, is a super flex single game, so. Went pretty heavy on quarterbacks. uh, Pretty much, I think, every lineup I have, uh, Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, uh, Bray, some Chase Daniel, but I saw him throw, I think, two picks, so hopefully combining all those quarterbacks will uh, get me to the top of the leaderboard. Yeah, I
0: I thought RG3 looked pretty good, man. He might be muscling Joe Flacco back to third on the depth chart, eventually. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Um, So... You work at Number Fire. What's the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you have from your time there?
2: Well, I mean, you know, naturally with JJ uh at late round QB on Twitter, as our editor in chief, I kind of have to uh, subscribe to just the late round quarterback philosophy whenever it comes. Uh, you know, looking at things from a fantasy football perspective, you know, in these like single quarterback leagues, like shallow home leagues, you, you know, you don't need to burn an early pick on a quarterback. Uh, and, you know, in fact, you you actively shouldn't do it. The numbers pretty much all support that. But I've also done my own studies on, on quarterback consistency, things like standard deviations, uh, things like that relative to other positions. And, and, you know, the numbers just show that in the right matchup, pretty much any NFL quarterback has a solid ceiling. You know, they can all score 20 or so uh, standard you know, fantasy points. So, you know, you don't always get your ceiling games from your early quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, just look, look at Drew Brees uh, in 2017. So really the the way that I evaluate quarterbacks from a fantasy standpoint, just playing the odds, uh, waiting, waiting overall. Uh, still the biggest overall quarterback evaluation for me when it comes to fantasy.
0: So how about in DFS? Are you more willing to pay up for guys on occasion when you feel like the matchups are good or the stacks are right? Like what's your process there?
2: Um, so that comes down to to ownership. I'm actually um, primarily like a tournament player, so I try to find lower owned stacks. Um, and if I find that, you know, a certain quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers in a mediocre matchup is going to go overlooked, I'm fine uh, spending up for someone like that. But you know, overall in like cash games, uh, overall and even tournaments, my exposure to quarterbacks generally tends to be kind of on the value options, trying to exploit. Uh, those beatable matchups and take advantage because like like I said, uh, pretty much any, any starting quarterback in the NFL can put up a big game in the right matchup. And that's just really kind of the, one of the easiest ways to exploit DFS. So uh, I do spend down uh, for the most part. But again, in the right matchups at, at low ownership, I will spend up how do you parse through you know those matchups
0: early in the season when we don't have quite as much data like when we're when we don't necessarily know exactly which matchups are good and which ones are bad like we you might see like one week's worth of game and games in week 1 and like if you looked at last year's game between like the Vikings and the Saints when Sam Bradford went crazy against them you might think oh same old Saints but then the Saints defense really took a step forward after that like how are you evaluating matchups early in the year when we don't have quite as much data?
2: Yeah, it it is tough. Um, I think we can sometimes get a bit overconfident in our evaluation abilities. And I'm actually just kind of a big proponent of you know, saying I'm not the smartest guy in the room, uh, that I don't know what's going to happen. I don't necessarily know how these new defenses are going to look, especially... If there have been, you know, coordinator changes or just big changes to the either the front seven in the pass rush or the secondary, so I just try to uh, play it safe the first few weeks of the season. Doesn't always work out, but uh, again, you know, I, I don't really like to be overconfident in my evaluation ability because when it comes to just fantasy football in general, I focus primarily on offensive players rather than digging deep into defenses because I think that. Within a few weeks, we can figure out uh, the most exploitable defenses so i don 't think it's my don 't think it 's the, the best way for me to use my abilities
0: yeah, good deal I mean time management when you 're doing this stuff is super important and that 's kind of a, a whole separate conversation for a different type of podcast where you could talk about like h- how to focus on what 's important and what isn 't um, let 's shift gears back towards seasonal leagues and uh, a couple months ago, you published a couple really good articles on number fire about the values of running backs and wide receivers that come off the waiver wire. Um, I'm not going to spoil the findings of those, but I'll link to those in the show notes. So um, if you're listening to this, you should check out those articles. But Brandon, how can we apply that the the lessons that you kind of put forward in those articles to the QB position for two quarterback formats, two QB super flex, where we really have to pay attention to QBs on the waiver wire, as opposed to, you know, like one quarterback formats where we don't have to do that quite as much.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of answer that, it, you got to take it all holistically. That's kind of the way that I approach uh, fantasy football in general. Uh, again, kind of going along with uh, just admitting that I, I can't predict the future, that we're going to be wrong. We find that a lot uh, when we're trying to sort of prognosticate these waiver wire picks. Um, you know, the simplest takeaway from the studies that I did on just how good we are at finding waiver wire placements. Just, you know, early-round running backs, like the top 12, uh, in terms of average draft cost each year, those guys are going to have the best ceiling and floor on a weekly basis whenever you compare them to mid-round or waiver backs. Uh, And that's true just even whenever you account for the potential four missed games. Uh, So investing in, in, you know, David Johnson didn't work out in 2017, but uh, the numbers say that we should be willing to go back there and hope that we can get the Todd Gurley and, and, you know, the Le'Veon Bell But, you know, along with that, running backs kind of outside the top 30 uh, and draft cost, uh, they're about as useful as waiver wire picks. Um, So we're kind of just not really maximizing our draft potential in the mid to late rounds when it comes to running backs. And, you know, by drafting mid to late round running backs, you're just kind of buying in to parts of committees when they're still uncertain before the season starts. Uh, You know, the Green Bay situation Could be a good example, but all three of those, uh, you know, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Ty Montgomery, they're all getting drafted, but buying in uh, early, you're kind of limiting your ability to hit on those. Whereas, you know, if you can find uh, the one who, you know, say one of those guys gets hurt, you know, uh, Ty Montgomery moves out to to wide receiver, you can find uh, the Aaron Jones. Uh, You know, it's probably not the best example again because those guys are getting drafted, but um that's just kind of what the numbers say uh don't buy into these committees before we really know who's gonna sort of take over um during the year uh and then for for wide receivers the early picks still matter a lot and it's the late round picks and the waiver wire options who tend to be duds and uh you know finding waiver receivers pretty hard uh compared to waiver Mm -hmm. running backs um and that wide receiver 30 range in the draft, the mid-round options are still just a better bet uh, than your waiver wire uh, receivers. So, like, you know, the, the guys who don't have clear roles um, just don't, you know, they, and they pop once. They're, they're not great pickups. And it's explained uh, much better in the articles itself. But, to you know, to, to answer your question, um, the general draft strategy for me is uh, elite running backs early elite receivers early, if I can, you know, in the first two or three rounds, then peppering wide receivers who, you know, can get 80 to hundred targets. And then whenever you apply that to a two QB league or a super flex league, um, you know, I still want access to those elite running backs and receivers. But frankly, after that, you know, after round three, you know, after round four, I'm fine uh, aiming for quarterbacks because I know that the running backs in that range, just on average, don't pan out too often. And I also know that the opportunity cost is vastly different uh, when it comes to quarterbacks in these two QB leagues uh, compared to traditional leagues. So, you know, I still need to get those mid-level receivers, but you know, waiting on on quarterback and two and and two quarterback leagues just doesn't work the same way as in traditional leagues. And uh, whenever you apply the, kind of the overall findings, uh, I still think that we need to invest early in running back and receiver, but then after that, uh, in that kind of dead zone, uh, that's whenever I want to. Uh, target those quarterbacks in, in these superflex two QB leagues. Yeah,
0: so you're going after those mid-tier QBs. They probably starting in like the QB8, QB9, QB10 range, somewhere around there. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the point you brought up about wide receivers being even less likely to pop off the waiver wire than running backs makes sense, right? Because when a running back gets hurt and his backup, you know, climbs up the depth chart, like that role is still relatively well defined in a lot of cases. Whereas, you know, when a receiver gets hurt, like there are many different options that the quarterback can then turn to, you know, within that passing offense. I think that's really smart. Now, in terms of, you know, quarterbacks off the waiver wire in season, how do you approach that? Or I guess another way to look at this would be to say, how do your do those lessons about how you draft running backs and wide receivers impact the, the committees at quarterback that we're potentially facing, like uh, the Cleveland Browns with Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, or the New York Jets, where there are three guys who could potentially be the starter there in McCown, Bridgewater, and Darnold. What's your take on those sorts of quarterback committees or quarterback waiver decisions in season?
2: Yeah, so uh, with quarterback, you know, it's much different because we know who's going to start. Pretty much uh, every coach, no matter how uh, cryptic they're going to be, we're gonna know by Sunday morning who's starting. Uh, it's just that's a given. Um, but guessing with like wide receiver and running back, it's not always that that simple. But um, when it comes to just these standard, you know, 12-team one-quarterback leagues, you don't have, you don't have to worry about trying to guess right uh, between Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield. But whenever it comes to two-quarterback leagues, I, I think that you do kind of, um, especially if you're waiting on quarterback at all, uh, you just kind of got to gamble. Um, and that's, the, again, the stuff that I don't really like to do because uh, you can be the best talent evaluator that there is in, in the game. But if the coach doesn't play your quarterback or your running back or your receiver, uh, you, you're not getting fantasy points. So, again, we see you, Hugh Jackson. Yeah, I mean, we do, I, I just don't like to assume that I'm going to guess right. Uh, so whenever I have, you know, three, four teams uh, with uh, uncertain quarterback situations, I just try to factor that in and say that there are three or four fewer quarterbacks that I can rely on uh, when it comes to these two QB leagues. So I I feel a bit more stress uh, to lock down a a more significant, a a more secure option earlier in the draft.
0: So speaking of uncertainty, who do you think is the toughest quarterback to evaluate for fantasy this year? And and let's try to limit it to, you know, guys who are actively being drafted in most uh, two QB
2: leagues i'm having trouble with a few uh one name that's popping is russell wilson uh this the seahawks have just a, like a low team total i think they're favored in like three games or something crazy they're, that team's just going to be bad doug baldwin is injured he's going to be out for the whole preseason and if you look at their pass catchers really the only only one i feel confident in is tyler lockett Um uh, you know trailing leads the volume for quarterbacks but it's efficiency that leads the fantasy points so Sure, Russell Wilson can kind of get get you some points with his legs, but like I, I don't really want to target a, a quarterback who's just gonna trail the whole time. Um, and I wouldn't even even say that Russell Wilson's the toughest to to evaluate because I still think he'll give us something. Um I would actually say that uh, the best answer here is Andrew Luck. Um, you know he could be the q b one this year. It yep. wouldn't surprise me. He could be the q b fifteen. He could be outside the top forty uh you know, and the the toughest part for me really about him again I don't want to assume that he's healthy I don't want to assume that he's not healthy cuz I don't know and and I'm fine with that I have to bake that in to my evaluation but really other than some tough matchups within the first 3 weeks and the Jaguars he plays in week weeks 10 and 13 the Colts kind of look like they have an easy schedule um you know you don't want to be overconfident again in your ability to figure out which teams are going to be tough pass defenses, but he really could be the QB one after not playing last year. So I'm having a really, really difficult time uh, figuring out Andrew Luck this year.
0: Yeah. I'm relatively optimistic on him. I, I think he's a little undervalued. If anything, who, who do you think is the most undervalued quarterback right now?
2: Um, so, you know, if we're digging deep for like the two QB, uh, uh, players And I'm sure, you know, if you're listening to this, I, I know that you have some two QB leagues. So uh, I might say Eli Manning. Um, I, I think the position overall is deep enough where a lot of guys could be considered undervalued. But uh, it, his two QB uh, redraft, you know, average draft cost kind of puts him that way down the list um, behind guys like James Winston, uh, Trubisky, Alex Smith, Blake Bortles. And, and uh, You know the the Giants again have a pretty average pass defense schedule. uh, If we're you know at all confident projecting that forward, but you know again if you're projecting a full year of Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley out of the backfield, Eli Manning will have some low end value. I think that's inevitable to to a bit of a higher degree. uh, You know if you're looking for a a single QB league option, maybe like a Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. He's about the he's about the QB 13 or 14, depending on where you look. I think the same kind of logic applies. Great offense, uh, much, you know, much better offense than the Giants. Uh, you know, if I can if I can have a pretty pretty hot take there, but bold, uh, very bold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if Antonio Brown and, and Juju Smith Schuster and Le'Veon get get their production, Ben's gonna have a solid stat line. He's 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 done it year after year, so. I think that he's probably pretty undervalued, at like QB 14, I think, on Fantasy Football Calculator.
0: Would you be surprised if Roethlisberger outscored Carson Wentz this season?
2: You know, I'm not that big on Carson Wentz. Me neither. I, That's why I asked the question. I, you know, heads up, especially at their draft cost. I, I don't even know what Wentz is. Probably like QB, uh, QB 5 top right five now. Top 5 or top
0: 6 would be my guess. Yeah.
2: Too high. It's too high. I would much rather uh, 10 times out of 10 just play or just draft Ben Roethlisberger in the 10th going on 11th round uh, than Carson Wentz in the 6th or 7th. Who do you think is
0: the most overvalued quarterback? Is it Wentz or is it somebody else?
2: You know, even though I'm not big on Wentz, I think that it's a pretty simple one. And that's Deshaun Watson. It's been a very uh,
0: common answer in my uh, separate recordings for this series. So, yeah, tell us why you don't like Watson.
2: Uh, so all right, nine point three percent of Deshaun Watson's uh, passes in 2017 were touchdowns. That touchdown rate is basically like the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady 50 touchdown seasons. You know, that alone we know is not sustainable. But uh, you can look at passing yards as a sign of uh, just you can you can run a linear regression and just see passing yards and how many passing yards a quarterback has and how many touchdowns should probably follow. Uh, so Watson had 19 passing touchdowns on 1,699 yards in 2017. Only 18 quarterbacks since 2000 have had more than 10 passing touchdowns on 1,700 or fewer yards. Only four had more than a dozen. Again, he had 19. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had 16 last year on 1675 yards. So basically, uh Watson threw for the same amount of yards as Aaron Rodgers, had three more touchdowns, and Aaron Rodgers was his 16 touchdowns were the the next closest to Watson's 19. It, just everything about him screams touchdown regression. Uh he you know, plus he's coming off the ACL. Uh, I like him, but as the QB2 or QB3 depending on where you look, he's just overvalued.
0: Well, yeah, and on top of that unsustainable touchdown rate, he had a crazy high interception rate as well. I think if you look at quarterbacks from last season with at least 200 attempts – It was the third worst in the league. I think he was only better than Deshaun Kaiser and Trevor Simeon, both of whom were complete, you know, train wrecks last season. So if he's throwing as many interceptions as those two guys or or close to it, like that, that should be a pretty big red flag that, you know, apparently drafters just don't see because all they see is that, you know, per game efficiency that he had thanks to a a crazy touchdown rate. Yeah, I I totally agree. He's uh, pretty overvalued. Like, Where do you kind of rank him? Like, I don't know if you do quarterback rankings, but how far down do you push him? Because this is something that I've struggled with. Like, we all agree that Deshaun Watson is overvalued, but we can't just, you know, assume that he's going to be, you know, the QB 15 or whatever. Like, he still has upside. Like, where are you evaluating him relative to other QBs, do you think?
2: I I do have rankings. I actually don't know where exactly he is. Quarterback uh, rankings for me. Or just kind of something that I, I I kind of throw together because I'm not really trying to go out of my way to target quarterbacks mm-hmm. uh, in the draft. So, um, I, I think he's around like QB six for me, QB seven, because I, I still think that he can be a fine producer with, you know, some rushing production. Uh, on the off chance that he is just this elite, you know, touchdown scorer, I, I want to have. Some shares of that in season long. Maybe maybe what I'll just do is let's play him in DFS because um, I don't think I'm going to be able to draft him where he is. So uh, that that really could just kind of be the answer. um j- Just play him in DFS, I, I guess, because uh, I- I'm just really not going to get him. uh Okay, so I have I pulled it up. I have the Sean Watson as my QB eight right now.
0: Yeah, he's my QB seven, so we're pretty much of the same mind there we're not going to end up with him where where in drafts are you typically jumping in at the quarterback position like it's i guess not necessarily picking a specific player but like maybe a range of players uh or a range of rounds like how and let's start with one qb leagues because we do still care about that we we no matter how many two qb leagues i'm in i always get pulled into at least one or two one quarterback formats so uh uh, listeners are gonna be the same, I'm sure Where do you kind of pull the trigger in a one QB league? yeah,
2: you know, I envy you because i wish I was in I wish the majority of my leagues were two QB leagues, but uh the the home leagues are still just kind of stuck in their ways so uh, i I do envy that, but you know this this always the, always depends on the draft, just the way that the draft is going and the quarterbacks who happen to be available. you know if I do drafts uh, with the guys at number fire quarterbacks inevitably fall Uh, and sometimes you know I can get Aaron Rodgers in the fifth uh, if people are trying to wait uh, play that quarterback chicken I will take Aaron Rodgers in the fifth round I know that odds are he's not going to be there in in most of my leagues but it's just part of reading the draft so you know if Aaron Rodgers is there in in the fifth or so even the late fourth I'd consider it Uh, but if things fall as they usually do you know uh, again one quarterback leagues just looking at ADP I would just say around eleven, around twelve, something like that. I can get great quarterbacks, uh, uh, you know, unless I'm looking uh, specifically. Kind of it, I, I seem I seem to be enamored with Matt Stafford this year, you know. I'll, I'll reach a little bit for him, but you know, other than that, I'll just be the the last guy in my league to get a quarterback in around like twelve. How about in two quarterback formats? So you know, it's a completely different. Completely different game. So for that, I'd say, like, round four, round five. I still want to look for those elite running backs and receivers early. Um, You know, I'm open to the idea of Rob Gronkowski in, like, the deep second round or third or something like that. But, again, you know, we need to find elite running backs and receivers for our fantasy teams. Those come from the early rounds of the draft far more often than not. Uh, But I I would generally try to, you know, kind of – pair two quarterbacks and that's you know eight, 10 maybe like if we're looking at adp like the qb 10 to qb 15 uh, in a two qb league that way kind of maximizing the weight on qb approach but really locking in two quarterbacks who aren't quite as matchup sensitive matchup dependent as some of these like lower tier guys like the you know like the qb 24 i, I don't want to play that game because you can't you can't exploit bad defenses as easily in two quarterback leagues. Uh, the, the 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 demand is just too high. The supply is not high enough. So mm-hmm. I'm much more inclined there to, uh, you know, go rounds four or five, six or so, get both my quarterbacks uh, kind of locked up in that range.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point to make. In that, you know, week to week in a two quarterback league, you have fewer decisions to make in terms of which quarterbacks you start. Like one of them is almost always going to be locked in just because he's the guy you drafted highest, and you drafted him highest for the for a you know a reason in theory. Uh, I mean, I guess if you go really late round quarterback with all your picks, like maybe wait until like the sixth or seventh round to even jump in and start off with someone like Alex Smith as your QB one uh you you might be more prone to actually shuffle the matchups week to week and i mean you should still be looking to do that no matter what but um yeah that's interesting who is the worst quarterback you'd be fine with starting uh you know in a let's just say in a two qb league because it sounds like in a one qb league you'll you'll scrape the bottom of the barrel if the matchup is right correct
2: oh yeah i'll I'll play i mean i'll play blake i'm pretty sure i won a championship last year playing blake bortles in a it might have been a ten-team home league too, nice. so like you just play Blake Bortles, and you know if you wait on QB, hopefully you can cash in on some of those uh you know earlier round draft picks rather than spending it on like a Drew Brees. But uh, like the worst quarterback that I would start in a two QB league, if I try to like pair it with like a name, maybe like a Case Keenum kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's my if he's my QB two, you know I'm just always enamored with Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. I feel like I write, write an article about those two being undervalued every year. Uh, I'm just excited for what that passing offense can do. Uh, you know, not not sky-high expectations, anything like that. But I think Keenum should be solid from that perspective. And, you know, if I do have to wait that long to have, like, a Case Keenum as my QB2, I'm definitely having a third quarterback for sure. Um, and then I'll just sort of cycle in, play the matchups there. Um, obviously, I'm striving for three QBs in, in a two QB league just so that I'm not uh, hung out to dry. But th- then in that range, you know, I'll just play the matchups the best I can.
0: Yeah, that was my approach in the Scott Fishbowl. I went with the the Mahomes, Trubisky, Case Keenum trifecta. I don't think any of those guys is necessarily going to be great this year, but I'm hoping that you know through my own analysis week to week, I should be able to find you know good weeks often enough to to make that work for me. And Keenum is particularly intriguing to me. The thing that I'm most interested in with him and with the Broncos in general is their potential to become like a new version of the 2016 or was it? No, I think it was the 2015 Jets with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker to where if Thomas and Sanders can stay healthy, as the primary receivers on that team, that can become a really predictable offense, which is something that I really like. Uh, you know, you've talked a lot about how we don't really know what's going to happen uh, you know, season to season, week to week. But if you can find a team that really locks in on, you know, a specific set of targets in a consistent way, there's a lot of value in that, isn't there?
2: Yeah. Um especially like just having two and you can say whatever you want about, you know, Demarius Thomas's decline, but you know, if you have two significantly above average, uh, you know, if you look at like a baseline replacement level wide receiver, if you have if you have two guys above that level, pretty significantly, you, you can kind of make things work unless you're unless you're just dreadful as a quarterback. And, and you know, I'm not saying that Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. But like we saw Case Keenum do some stuff last mm-hmm. year when he had options to throw to uh, again. He had Kyle Rudolph had some, well, you know, Dalvin Cook got hurt, unfortunately. Hopefully he can come back. I, I love Dalvin Cook. I know that's just a, a random thought. But, you know, we, we've we seen some of these passers, whenever they have some options, be fantasy relevant. And there's no reason that Keenum can't be that again in 2018.
0: So across all of your various drafts to this point, who do you find yourself drafting most often at quarterback?
2: Um Probably Matt Stafford. Um you know he he's kind of right in that range around like QB 10, 12 somewhere in there. So I I do have to uh not be too reluctant where some of these uh, other other teams in my leagues are, are drafting uh, their their second quarterback before I get my first. Uh, that that applies more for a one QB league. But Stafford's really someone who I'm trying to target uh, as much as I possibly can just so many weapons he's been a top 12 quarterback in, in six of the past seven years super durable and he's a guy who like came into the league with a, a tag where he was like made of glass and mm-hmm. uh yep. played some games with like a separated shoulder and ever since <laughs> he's like he doesn't miss games he's got a really easy schedule to start the season from what we can tell so uh, i think stafford is the guy i probably have the most and i'm trying to get the most uh for 2018 so I
0: like that you mentioned all the weapons they have there in Detroit. Now, ultimately, some of those guys probably aren't going to pan out the way that we want them to. Who do you think is going to be on the outside looking in, in terms of those Detroit Lions weapons?
2: Marvin Jones is hurt. I, I don't know the full extent to that, but provided that he's healthy, it could be... That's that's tough. I, I you know I haven't really thought about it from that perspective. Um, I'm still h- kind of high on Golden Tate, uh, just as like a high-volume option, but... Uh, if I really have to, you know, throw someone under the bus, it's probably just going to be Kenny Galladay, because um, we haven't seen it from him, and that could be a very, very bad uh, uh, way to analyze that situation. But Marvin Jones, I am pretty sure, uh, leads the league in uh, yards per catch since joining the Lions two years ago, and I think he's got a pretty big lead. You know, he, he's just he's been able to do it, um, and hopefully, Carryon Johnson can uh, carve out a role and, and kind of take some pressure off of Stafford. I love Theo Redick out of the backfield, but I, I think that, you know, throwing that deep ball to Marvin Jones is still going to be viable. So, uh, maybe Kenny Galladay is the, the guy I would have least exposure to, although his draft cost is the nicest. So who's the quarterback
0: you wish you could be drafting more often, maybe somebody who you like, but you, for whatever reason you tend to keep just missing on in your drafts.
2: Uh, I would probably say Kirk Cousins. Um, If not Drew Brees, I I like Brees for a big bounce back in 2018, but uh, Kirk Cousins kind of going off the board in in like the eighth round in single quarterback leagues is the QB eight. I'm really excited for that Vikings offense. Uh, Fantastic weapons to throw to. And Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, and Kyle Rudolph really do love Dalvin cook out of the backfield, but he's just taken a little bit too early for me to get him in those, in these one QB leagues. But again, if I'm looking at a two QB uh, super flex, that's kind of the range where I probably would end up uh, going a little bit early, getting cousins, getting like a Stafford and just feeling much better um, than I would with uh, trying to just cycle in some of these matchups because uh, you know, you mentioned the Scott fishbowl before I've had situations where I just don't have quarterbacks because the guy gets hurt or gets benched and they're just, there's too much of a, of a demand and not enough supply. So um I, I do hope i can get some more kirk cousins but you know in these two qb leagues i'm really trying to to get out of my comfort zone a bit and just get the guys that i really want
0: yeah i feel you on that i'm pretty sure last year in scott fishbowl i drafted three guys who all got hurt i know i had bradford and Tannehill, and i can't remember who the third guy was but he he ended up getting replaced too it's just one of those things where you know the demand is so high that if you end up with these guys who are riskier for whatever reason. And, I mean, having all three get hurt is more of a fluke than anything else. I'm not really trying to complain about it. But (laughs) that sort of stuff can happen for sure. Um, I want to let you get back to your potential second-half shootout between Lamar Jackson and Tyler Bray. But before we do, (laughs) um, do you have any other thoughts on analyzing QBs or draft strategy for the quarterback position that you want to give
2: to the listeners before we go? So, you know, when it comes to, like, trying to analyze talent I, again, I don't really get, try to get too caught up in that. Fantasy football all comes down to opportunity. You know, uh, we've seen bad NFL quarterbacks play bad defenses and produce for our fantasy teams. That's why, You know, that's why someone like Jake Cutler or Derek Carr can be occasionally viable uh, in fantasy football. Um, but from like a fantasy perspective, just know your league. I'm sure every listener is in some two QB leagues or super, super flex leagues, but just knowing your your league settings, knowing like what you need to fill in the draft is such a big advantage. And I see it in, you know, some of my home leagues. I still see it in some some other leagues that I join, uh, just not really having a great feel for uh, what you should be targeting and, and why. Just, just so just knowing your league settings, uh, especially like when it comes to the opportunity cost difference between one two, uh, one quarterback leagues and two quarterback leagues. It's just so massive.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's a great point. I'm pretty sure that there are people drafting Scott Fishbowl who didn't even know that the settings were so skewed relative to like a normal league. Like that happens more often than you would think. Like people don't check the scoring settings, they don't check the roster settings, and that's just an immediate edge that you can gain if you are studious and you and you pay attention to that stuff. Um, Great stuff, Brandon. Uh, Before I let you go,
2: say something nice about this episode's other guest, Jim (laughs) Sonis. Um. I mean, Jim works harder than anyone I know, Uh, no matter what he's covering. uh, He covers like NASCAR. He he goes so he's working so hard on NASCAR stuff. And and I just know that uh, he lives for that. Um, I I probably yell at him multiple times a month when I find out that he's like working at midnight or or 6 a.m. or uh, on vacation. Uh, I just you know, I, I just have to yell at him sometimes, but it doesn't make him stop. And on top of that he's just one of the smartest people i know when it comes to analyzing the nfl he studies offensive lines uh like it's like it's fun for him Uh, he's super diligent when it comes to tracking player usage uh things like things like deep targets red zone touches so i mean he he just knows pretty much everything off the top of his head uh, during the season he just sort of builds like a database of stats in his head and uh, he can just th- throw things out to me that you know I I'm not really fully seeing. Uh, it's just kind of crazy uh, to me to be honest. And he's just always someone who I can talk to uh, whenever I need some sense talked into me. Whenever I want to play, whenever I want to play someone really off the wall in DFS. So uh, uh, Jim's great, best podcast uh, co-host I could ask for. So uh, yeah, that, that that's Jim in a nutshell.
0: Who's the worst player he's ever talked you out of? Them?
2: that's that's tough um i have a lot of uh again like i mentioned before that i like to play tournaments so i'll take stabs on some really uh really terrible pick i I played john ross whenever he played i don't think he played a snap once i think jim tried to talk me out of that (laughs) That happened in 2017.
0: That's pretty good. You should have listened to Jim. We should all listen to Jim more often. Well, hey, Brandon, I want to thank you a lot for coming on the show. This has been really great. Uh, listeners, you can follow him at gadula13. That's G-D-U-L-A-1-3 on Twitter. And that does it for today's Two a Day. Be sure to take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, The 2QB Experience. Be sure to follow Jim Saunas on Twitter, at Jim Saunas, as well as Brandon Gadula, at gadula13. Check out the show description for links to their work. And head over to 2QBs.com to pick up your copy of our 2018 2QB and Superflex draft guide. You can follow the site on Twitter, at 2QBs, and you can follow me, at Sauce. Whether you're tweeting at us, emailing us at 2QBs at gmail.com, or typing the URL into your browser, spell out 2QBs with letters, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Otherwise, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.